You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 80 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Talking Props. Talking Props is a punk band hailing from Santiago, Chile. Heavily influenced by 90s punk, this South American five-piece recently released an awesome five-song EP entitled The Void. The band is currently working on new music and looking forward to hitting the road soon. For more information on Talking Props, check out Instagram and Facebook at TalkingPropsCL. Now here it is, their new single, Better Shape. Go back, I'm going back with the river mine. 
Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hey, this is Russ from Good Riddance. You're listening to That One Time on Tour. Everybody out there in podcast land, what's going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney. I am your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining us, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have an awesome conversation. This week is no different. Man, this week's a really good one. I got to sit down with Russ Rankin, lead singer and songwriter from the band Good Riddance. I've been listening to Good Riddance since, man, since 95, 96, something like that. It's crazy. And uh, I had a good time talking to Russ. Uh, We talked about his life as a hockey scout. We talked about songwriting and working with Bill Stevenson at the Blasting Room and just all kinds of stuff, tour stories. And we had a blast talking about everything. So before I get to my conversation with Russ, I need to tell you guys about some of my sponsors. They help keep the lights on here at that one time on tour. I need to tell you about the Merch Planet. You need to head on over to themerchplanet.com. They will take care of all of your merchandise needs. They're an amazing company. You're going to hear another ad for them in the middle of the show. But uh, check out themerchplanet.com. And the cool thing is, if you're listening to this podcast, when you go to the Merch Planet and you buy your merch, you can put in the promo code T-O-T-O-T free, sorry, T-O-T-O-T-F-R-E-E, and you're going to get free shipping on everything that you order, and that's a big deal for bands. A lot of bands on tour, you know, get stuff drop shipped to venues, and, you know, free shipping really, really matters. So head on over to themerchplanet.com and use the promo code T-O-T-O-T free. Always have to tell you about the Permanence Tattoo Gallery. I know a lot of you guys aren't local to Central Indiana, but Permanence Tattoo Gallery is my buddy Jacob Harrison's shop. It is awesome. You need to go there. It is in Anderson, Indiana on Meridian Street downtown. You can check out uh, Permanence on all the social media platforms. It's at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. If you head on over there and you get some ink, tell them that I sent you. Maybe they will hook you up with a good deal. So shout out to Jacob and everybody over at Permanence 
Prince Tattoo Gallery. And I also want to talk about Talking Props, the band that sponsored this episode. They're from one of my favorite cities in the world, Santiago, Chile, down in South America. And uh, I want to give a shout out to them, not just for sponsoring the episode. This is the second time they've sponsored an episode. And I, I love Talking Props. They're a great band. I just wanted to give them a shout out because there's been some some kind of political turmoil stuff going on down in Chile. And uh, I just hope that you guys are safe. And I hope that all of our listeners, we've actually charted in the top 10 for like the last 10 weeks in Chile. So I hope that all of the listeners that are checking this out from South America, all over South America, but especially in Chile, we love you guys. And thank you so much for the support. And I hope things are going to get better in your country. Your country is beautiful. And uh, I just, it's an amazing place. And I hope that you guys are safe and that things continue to get better. So if you are from Chile, Hit me up and let me know what's going on down there. You know, let me know. I know there were some like curfews and some weird stuff going on. So hit me up and let me know what's going on. You can, you know, hit me up on all the social media platforms at TOTOT podcast. Speaking of that, I also have an email. And if you guys want to sponsor an episode like Talking Props or like the Merch Planet or like Permanence Tattoo Gallery, you can hit me up. It's TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or like I said, any of the social medias, you can hit me up as well at TOTOTpodcast. So if you want to get a little bit more involved in helping the show out, you can go over to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash TOTOTpodcast. And I want to give a shout out to our Patreon producer over there, Punk Rock Bob Foster. We have a couple tiers on the Patreon, and uh, we have a producer tier, and Bob is our producer right now. And he has this, he's a manager at this place, and they're hiring for seasonal jobs. And he's having a hard time getting people for the seasonal positions. And he doesn't want to mention the name of the place that he actually hires for. But if you were in the Hemet kind of Riverside kind of area in California, and you're looking for some seasonal work, go on over to Instagram and hit up at punk rock, Bob Foster, and he'll get you a job, man. Make some, make some greenbacks, go buy some Christmas presents. So shout out to Bob. Thank you so much for being a patron and for contributing so much. And that's the thing. If you guys want to help us out, that's cool. If not, the show's always going to be free. Just leave us a review, subscribe, rate, whatever. That helps a lot as well. So that's it. That's my spiel as far as trying to get money from you and trying to, you know, do my sponsors and all that kind of stuff. But I do have a TOTOT radio segment this week. And uh, so we're going to do it right now. Cue the theme music. On this edition of TOTOT Radio, it is very self-serving. A few months back, it was self-serving as well. I played my first band, Chronic Chaos. But today, I'm going to spotlight my other band I had before I joined the Ataris. It's a band called The Widow Jenkins. We had Adam, my old singer, on the show about a year ago. And uh, Joel Green from the band Emery, he was also in this band with me. And just a bunch of my good friends, uh, Jake from the Ataris was in this band. Brian from the Ataris was in this band. 
uh, and it was it was crazy. We lost our singer, and uh, the way that we actually met up with Chris Rowe and kind of joined the Ataris was that we wanted a singer, and Chris had shown some interest in singing for the Widow Jenkins as like a side project uh, because we were talking to Victory at the time, and. That didn't end up happening, but we ended up joining the Ataris and then things went crazy. So uh, I've always wanted to come back to the Widow Jenkins. We never had a proper like full length record. We did an EP and a bunch of demos. And uh, I've recently put everything up on Spotify. Uh, so you guys can check it out on Spotify in the show notes. There'll be a link to the Spotify. Also to the Chronic Chaos stuff, my first band. Um, but, you know. If you guys like it, let me know that you like it. I always really, really dug it. I mean, I know I was a part of it and like I wrote the music, but I don't know. I just felt like we had some label interest and things just kind of went south. And uh, I don't know. It's 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 one of my favorite things that I've ever done. It's a little more metallic. Uh, I guess some people would say metalcore, but I, I don't like that. It was more thrashy, I guess, is what I thought it was. But um, I'm just figuring out some stuff now with my studio. I've, I've got the podcast game down pretty well, but I'm starting to record some demos. And if I can talk Adam into singing, there might be some new Widow Jenkins stuff, at least like project songs coming out there. But uh, if you want to check out the Widow Jenkins, we are on Spotify. It's basically a few studio tracks and a bunch of demos with fake drums. So uh, you guys want to check that out. Let me know what you think. Hit me up. But I'm going to play our, I guess, quote unquote, hit the song. It got a little bit of radio play and uh, everybody tends to like this one more than any other. And it was on a comp over in Europe and and all kinds of stuff. But uh, this is a song called My Israel and it's by the Widow Jenkins, my old band. I hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out.
So there it was, My Israel by The Widow Jenkins. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember to check us out on all the streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Music, everything else. Hopefully in the future, there will be some new TWJ stuff. And if you're an avid listener to this podcast, I'm sure that you will find out. So uh, thank you guys for checking it out. I appreciate it. And now, since you've waited so patiently, I'm going to jump into my conversation with Mr. Russ Rankin from Good Riddance. Like I said, I've been listening to Good Riddance. Most of my life, like like back in like freshman year of high school or something like that. And I've just I just thought they've gotten better and better with each record that they put out. And this new record, Thoughts and Prayers, like his vocals are just so clean and melodic and he's still got that grit that he's always had, but it's just it's polished and I really, really like the new sound. And the guitars are just amazing and I don't know. Good Riddance is one of my favorite bands and always will be. So I hope you guys are going to like this. This is my conversation with the awesome Mr. Russ Rankin from Good Riddance. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Russ from Good Riddance. How are you doing today, Russ? Doing great, man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks uh, for being on the show. I got to say, I've, I've been listening to you guys since the first record. I mean, I know you've probably done stuff before that, but the first record on Fat for God and Country back in 95 yeah. and... uh I think with every sequential record, you guys have just gotten stronger and stronger. Thank you. I, I, I would hope so. We're <laughs> yeah. trying to trying to figure it out after all these years. <laughs> so you guys have a new record out. Uh, it came out in July on Fat Records. It's called Thoughts and Prayers. Uh, is that title kind of tongue in cheek for you know when something happens? That's what everybody says to give. Yeah, I mean it's it's tongue in cheek. I mean it's not really a funny thing but but yeah it's it's sort of like to to call out the the what, what is what has become the like typical response from the people that we've empowered to shape policy for us uh along the lines of of gun control and safety and everything else and uh you know we have in conversely in, in new zealand there's a mass shooting and with like to me that's that's appropriate leadership yeah, I mean, it seems like the the places in the world where they have stricter gun control or no guns at all, it seems like there is, you know, there's not a problem. Like in, in Australia, they had that big massacre and it's like, you know, yeah. they just took away everything. And and I mean, I'm yeah. not, I don't know if that's the right answer or the wrong answer, but I, I do think that we're not doing anything at all. And thoughts and prayers are, are not going to cut it in my eyes anyway. Well, that's what you say when, when you don't want to tell everybody that you can't, that you're that you're powerless because the gun lobby is 
paying you a lot, yeah. enough money. Yeah, that's that's what you say. And in, because it, because we we sentimentalize tragedy in the United States, and we we believe that that prayers will will save everybody. Um, people just buy it and move on. So you guys on this new record, I got to say it's uh, the one thing that I noticed. I want to talk about the production here in a second, but the vocals on it, your vocals are. I mean, you've always got that kind of that gruff and that, you know, like yeah. the, the the aggression in your vocals, but they seem very clean and like the tone is very clear. I've got to say it was probably the most melodic singing that I've heard for a while from you. Was that a, a conscious effort? Well, thank you. First of all, I, I think that we we set out, you know, the, these last couple of records, but particularly this one to just really go back to. Uh, in, back to our roots as far as being a California band and the, the bands that influenced us from from California, and even though we've we've been we've been tremendously influenced by uh, harder music over the years, our roots really are, you know, like Adolescence and and Di and TSOL and bands like that, uh, Bad Religion, and so that's always been sort of my my goal is to write songs that are that are melodic because that'll hopefully stay in people's heads and then use, use that medium to carry some sort of hopefully relevant message. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of help from, from Bill production wise. And, uh, I, you know, I, I also wrote some songs for this album that were a little bit out of my comfort zone as far as stuff that I could, stuff that I couldn't just roll into and be like, Oh yeah, I've sang this a million times. Like it was really a challenge, which was a good, good for us, I think, and good for me as a vocalist. Uh, so, like being being teachable and and help having Bill help me out, and also not being afraid to to try things that were a little bit different for me. And I'm sure you guys feel pretty comfortable at the blasting room, like you were just saying. You guys worked with Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore once again. They've kind of done almost everything since 1999. Are they like? Do you almost feel like they're like the fifth and sixth members of the band? <laughs> Well, Bill, definitely. Like we, it is sort of blasting room. I mean, we recorded our last few albums in San Francisco. Okay. But Bill, Bill came out and did it, and then that everything got sent to to the blasting room, and Jason mixed it. Like Jason, we didn't see him this time. Like we, he got everything after and mixed it, and they would send us mixes. But Bill was in the studio every day with us, and he is very much like a fifth member because he knows us so well. And we've been become friends over the last 20 years. And he, you know, he was a seminal figure in the period of, of punk and hardcore music that directly influenced us. And so he knows better than anybody, like what we're, what we're trying to get at. And, uh, so he's, he's really in tune with, with our, our goals and also how to get good performances out of each of us, like how to motivate each one of us and how to help us out. Do you ever, I mean, this is going to be kind of a weird question, but like I've, I've, you know, hung out with the guys from the descendants a bunch of times. I've had Stefan on the podcast. Uh, you know, I, I see Bill and every time I see those guys, like they're very nice to me, but I still kind of in my mind am that little kid that listened to the descendants. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's, it's a trip. I mean, it's for me, I guess I, I played in a band with Bill for years and that was, and so, that like, was I, only I, crime, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I get, that sort of went away after a while. Like not, it's still like, if you stop and think about it, like I look behind me, I'm like, okay, that's Bill Stevenson. <laughs> yeah. But, but he, we've just become really good friends. Uh, 
because like when you know we're, we're in the studio so much for all of our, our work and then when the when the you know figurative tape stops rolling we're hanging out you know telling stories and talking to each other's families and sharing our lives with each other and so he's he's not only like the you know the best drummer i've ever seen he's like a huge hugely influential songwriter and figure in the punk community but he's also like just a great human being and he's he's somebody that i'm like really honored to consider a friend that's awesome man so what is your process like for lyrics? Do you do you go into the studio most of the time with everything nailed down already, or are you maybe writing stuff in the studio? I know things morph a little bit when you get in there, but what is your style as far as lyrical content? If we've done our jobs correctly, we, we go in the studio with everything done. And then like there's maybe some some suggestions from Bill as far as like subtle, subtle tweaks. Uh so if previously there's usually maybe three like three or four songs on an album that Luke, our guitar player, would write the music for, and then I would have to come up with lyrics and melody for it, and then on all the rest of the stuff I wrote, I wrote everything for. And so with uh, "Peace in Our Time," which was our previous album, there was there was a couple songs that I was still knocking around lyric ideas in the studio. Just a couple of Luke songs, yeah, that ended up working out. This this one, we had everything done. Before we went in, um, I, I basically demo everything with either GarageBand or Logic. So I track, you know, drums, guitars, bass, all the vocals, and then send the guys these finished demos. And if they, if the song passes, you know, passes inspection, then we we work, you know, we work on it in practice. Are you using like when you said you track drums, like you're playing yeah. the drums yourself, or you no doing, no no, you're doing like no, the uh, like the your creating the drums in in logic or whatever right yeah there's well, there's 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 like so many punk drummer loops and yeah. so you just you know like floor tom beat ride beat uh hi-hat beat you know do you feel like the technology like that has made you know writing songs and like demoing songs i won't say easier but just do you feel more creative or do you feel like you can do more on your own now definitely like i, I can I can already hear how a guitar lead's going to sound over the rhythm. I can hear, I can, I can work out vocal, vocal melodies and even harmonies before we even practice. And, and it just, it saves a lot of, uh, it saves us a lot of work. Uh, so like our, our, it's not, it's not set in stone when I get demo a song and the guys like it, like we still hammer it out in the studio and guys will say, how do, why don't we try this here or this there? But, you know, it's particularly Sean, like the stuff I send, send out with the, the drums, it's pretty pedestrian. Like it's mostly just like, it's going to be, you know, I'm thinking ride here, hat here, but like as far as fills or the way that they're played, like Sean is always trying a bunch of different stuff to, you know, to spice it up or to, or to give it his own signature. And, and we would, and everybody kind of does that too. Like Luke will tweak a guitar lead that I've written or maybe come up with one where there wasn't one before. Uh, so like, there's still, a, we have a, we have like a, a basic complete roadmap of how the song goes from beginning to end. But, but as far as the little, the little details and nuances, a lot of that stuff um, morphs from the time I've, I lay it down to the time it's actually recorded for the record. That's awesome. So there's a song on the new record that is mostly in Spanish. I wanted to ask like kind of how that came about and how you made the decision to do, to do that. It actually sounds 
it sounds really good. Like I, it kind of caught me by surprise. I was listening to the record again today in preparation to talk to you. And that song always catches me off guard because I start hearing Spanish. So what, what was the, the thought process behind that? So, so I could speak Spanish pretty well. And I always, I love the way Spanish sounds in, in punk and hardcore music. I think it just it lends itself to it. It just sounds pissed. And, yeah. And I think that, you know, that's that being a thing that I've always sort of liked. And then I was thinking about bands I know. Granted, they're from countries that where, where people grow up speaking English, like Sweden or Germany or whatever, that bands that sing almost entirely in English. And how we, we kind of take it for granted. And I, and I was thinking about wondering how, how hard it would be to write a song that's not in my first language, like taking on that challenge and would I be able to do it and make it make sense. And, and, uh, so like, I, th I thought, well, I'm just going to go for it. You know, I had to, I had written the, the riffs for that song. I'd written those guitar parts, but I, I was, you know, knocking around like lyric ideas. And I was like, why don't I try this one? And, uh, so I, I had some lines in my head already in Spanish from the chorus of that song. And so it's just a matter of fitting them in and then writing the rest of the lyrics around it. Have you guys played anywhere where any Spanish speaking countries since the record has come out where you've actually played the song? We've played, we played, uh, yeah, we have, but we haven't played the song live yet. Oh, okay. Cause I, you guys actually were in uh, a Europe not too long ago. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Scott from Poli was on the show a couple weeks back and he was telling about all of their troubles trying to get over to punk rock holiday and Brack rock. And I know you guys were kind of with them at the airport. So yep. uh, kind of take me through that. I know like something happened. The flights got canceled. You guys got over there. I think you missed Brack rock, but what was the process yep. of getting to punk rock holiday and all those other shows? Did you guys have to like rent your own transportation? Like what happened? Well, uh, so we, Punk Rock Holiday was was fine for us. We made it there, but yeah, we were supposed to play Brack Rock the same day as Pulley, and so we we flew over there, and we got we played our first show as a festival in, in Biarritz, France, and so the next day we got driven like three hours down to Bilbao Airport, which is in the in the Basque Country in the north of Spain, and, and us and Pulley were on the same flight because we're both flying to brussels that day to get driven to brack rock to play brack rock and so we're we're hanging out with those guys at the airport like just just you know broing down because we haven't seen them in a while and and hanging out and then the flight's delayed and so like, okay whatever and then we finally get on the plane oh it's funny too the, the plane finally lands and the uh the no fun at all guys come bailing off the plane because they're late for a show and in spain so they're like running we're like quick quick quickly said hello to them and they 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 bailed and then we get on the plane and we sit on the plane for like an hour and there's apparently there's some mechanical thing they couldn't fix and so they just canceled the flight and we all got off the plane got all our bags and so everybody's scrambling because bilbao is a small airport like it's yeah. pretty tiny yeah and and so there's really not a lot of flights in and out of there and so we've got it. We're supposed to be in Belgium that evening, you know, to play Rack Rock. Belgium is going to be about a 16 hour drive. Wow. Uh, so we're like trying to like book other flights to like, like, where can we go? We can go to Luxembourg. We could go to Frankfurt drive. Like we're, we're just, 
and everybody on the flight has the same idea pretty much so all the flights are getting booked there's a big ass line of people they have one booth for like customer service at the airport <laughs> yeah and it's just this massive line and so it was kind of a gong show and so but we were just like let, we were just all on our phones like looking for flights looking think trying to brainstorm because we had to play we're supposed to play black rock that day and then we we're supposed to play we're supposed to meet our driver and uh, then we're supposed to play in uh, Cologne, Germany, the next night. So we're like, we're like, well, fuck! Like it's getting to be like five, six at night. We're at we're at Bilbao Airport in Spain, and not only are we for sure missing Brack Rock, but we might have to cancel our our Cologne show. Yeah, because it's just so far, and our our drivers like our driver was at was at Brack Rock. <laughs> he was already there so, at Brack Rock. selling our t- selling our t shirts. Yeah, so. <laughs> So like we're we're like fuck like what are we gonna do and so our we sort of had a plan to to stay in Bilbao and then fly early to whatever the show like fly to Munich or someplace I, I don't even, you know I don't even know what that plan was and then yeah at the last minute we were like fuck it we're we're not canceling Cologne so we we booked a flight from Madrid to Munich for the next morning we we rented a car at the airport in Bilbao and we drove to Madrid, which wow. is like five hours. We got there at like three in the morning, slept for about an hour and a half, two hours, got to the Madrid airport, flew Madrid to Munich where we rented a car and we drove nine hours to Cologne Jeez. and got there just, just as the show was just as doors were opening. And <laughs> we played our show. It's crazy that you guys <laughs> made it there, though, right? Because I mean, once yeah, you get so there, we were, your driver we was lucky. There. Yeah, yeah, the driver was there, and then 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 tour was tour was fine. But that was that was gnarly because it was just a lot of driving and a lot of like like Chuck drove the whole way from from Munich Airport to Cologne. He drove nine hours, and traffic was <laughs> fucked. And and the the show we were playing with Masked Intruder, and, and it was really really it was really hot. Like the show was really hot and. And we were like, well, maybe we should cut some songs from our set. Chuck's like, Chuck's like, I drove nine hours, dude. Like, I'm not cutting any songs. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was fun. It was a really good time. And uh, it was just nice to finally be able to like get there, see our driver, have a van, and get on a kind of a normal <laughs> tour schedule. But yeah, it was, it was, it was fucked. You know, like well, us and Pulley just at the airport, just everybody was scrambling like i know i don't i can't remember where their next show was but like they they had the same situation like they had to scramble to try to figure out their next move so when, when you guys you know back in the day i know you guys have been all over europe you've been touring forever have there been a lot of times like that where it wasn't really certain if you were going to make it to the next gig as far as like because of transportation we've been really really fortunate over the years like that's what i was telling the guys that day like we were due you know we were due for a fuck up and and so like the only other thing i can remember is years ago we were supposed to play our first time in new zealand and australia with sick of it all and we flew from we were supposed to fly from san francisco to la and then la to auckland new zealand and our flight from san francisco to la was was late because of fog but we, so we finally got down to LA and missed our connection. So they put us up at a hotel, and the, so the next 
but somehow our gear made it. That's what I don't understand. Our gear <laughs> made it to LA yeah, and onto the, onto the flight. So our gear is in New Zealand and, but we're in LA. And so the next day we get on the plane again, we sit on the plane for almost two hours. And then they, they, there's like some issue with the cargo netting under the plane that can't be fixed. And the union guys can't have, they have to stop working. Yeah. So, so they put us up again at a hotel. Jeez, man. So, so then the next day we finally get on the plane. So sick of it all has already played one show without us in New Zealand. And so we fly to New Zealand, you know, it's 13 hours or 14 hours or whatever. They move us to the front of the plane as we're landing. And then we get the plane lands and there's a, there's a dude there waiting, just grabs us, rushes us into a van. And we drove two hours to the city we were playing. And, uh, we're all just like, you know, we just flew 14 hours. We're all just fucking zombies. And this guy throw they throw us in the van with all our gear and they drive us to this club. And think of it all is, is playing like every song they know waiting for us to get there. (laughs) Cause I mean, they're supposed to headline, but like we're, we're late. So they're playing. And and so we just got to the show and ran right up on stage and played. And I, it was like, it was like a blur. Like I barely remember it. You know, that was the only other really weird thing that's happened to us. So we, we've been really fortunate because I've heard, I've heard so many horror stories um, and with it, with as much as we, as we fly and drive and have to make these tight connections, like we've had pretty good, pretty good luck. So when they came and got you with that van in Auckland, yeah. did you have to go through like customs and everything? Because when, when I was in the Ataris, we went and we played in South Africa and they, the, the promoter said, Hey, when you land, don't worry about anything because we're going to have some people come and get you. And I didn't know what that's, they what, that's what they did. That's what they did for us. Well, they called yeah. it a diplomatic walk. We walked through the airport and actually, I think we were on a little cart, like a little, like, uh, I don't know. We, yeah. We did something really similar to that, but like the like guys, we didn't, we didn't have to do anything. We just went right to the van. Yeah. Like they, they took our passports and handled everything. Yeah. But the thing was the guys that took us to where we were getting into our little vehicle to, to drive away in Johannesburg, they all had semi-automatic rifles and they were all dressed yeah. as military police. It was kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's awesome, man. So you guys had the same treatment. It's kind of nice. You get off the yeah. plane and I was like, Oh, it's like Beatlemania. People are going to want our autographs, but it wasn't that they just didn't want no. us to have to mess with it. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Nobody yeah. gave a shit, you know? Nope. Hey, this is Chris from that one time on tour. Odds are, if you're listening to this, you're in a band or know someone who is. One of the biggest problems facing bands is finding affordable, high-quality merchandise. Well, not anymore. The Merch Planet offers soft, high-end quality shirts starting at as little as $6 a piece. And right now, they're offering free shipping to all TOTOT listeners. They have lightning-fast turnarounds and ship everywhere throughout the U.S. and Canada. Head on over to TheMerchPlanet.com and use the promo code TOTOTFREE at checkout. You'll be glad you did. Okay, so uh, on your new record, I mean, we'll get back to that because I am interested in this as well. Um, 50 cents off each sale is donated to two different charities, Second Harvest Food Bank and Never Again MSD. Yeah, I, I kind of know what Harvest Food Bank is, the second Harvest Food Bank. Can you tell me a little bit about the other charity? Uh, it's a it's a nonprofit started after the Stoneham Douglas school shooting in Parkland, Florida. And it was started by some of the students that survived that, that shooting. Yeah. I, it, it's one of dozens of, of nonprofits that are geared that are geared up for passing uh, gun legislation. 
and we just felt like I, I looked at a lot of different ones. We just felt like it was like a, that way was timely. You know, at the time that was still the most recent one. Yeah. And it was kind of like, you could pick, you could pick any number of, of charities or nonprofits that would be, that would be good for that. And that was just one that we chose. So there wasn't really anything like super, uh, anything about it that separated it a lot from the others, other than that it was based off of the most, the most recent tragedy that had happened. And we, we liked some of the people that were involved with it. Some of these students that were speaking out. Do, do you feel like, I feel like more artists should do things like that. I mean, you guys, you guys have always, you know, been very vocal about different political issues and, you know, like different things that you guys feel strongly about. And I think that's kind of putting your money where your mouth is. And I, I think a lot of other people that, you know, talk about political issues, I don't know if they would be apt to do that. So, I mean, do you, do you feel like more people should kind of put their money where their mouth is to, you know, to make, make a difference? Well, it's not for me to say, yeah. but I, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, we, we definitely aren't the first band to do that, but we feel like it's, it's important. I mean, it's, and we've done it with some organizations in the past, like PETA, you know, PETA doesn't need our money, Yeah. but, but like the, just the awareness piece, like every time somebody opens up the CD, they're seeing this, this information. And so part of it for us is, is helping out as much as we can, you know, money wise, you know, we, we've played benefit shows as well over the years, but also like, like raising awareness. So like a, a music fan who may not be politically engaged or may want to be, but just kind of doesn't know anything really about it has some options like, Oh, right here. Like I could just check these people out. Like, this is cool. And that's, that's the main reason that we do it. Cause then if we're singing about social and political issues and we have it, we have a platform, you know, such as it is, such as it is, yeah. We also have the ability to bring awareness and and a little bit of coin to some of these organizations. You know, like you, you would you would think that in a in twenty nineteen, um, and ending mask shootings would be would be a government priority yeah, with lots of with lots of money devoted to it. But it but it turns out that it isn't. Bailing out billionaires is a is a big priority. So it's up to just regular people to to try to come up with a way to do that. So you guys, I wanted to ask you. You know, in 2007, you guys kind of disbanded and, you know, as a fan, yeah. as a fan, I was yeah. bummed out because I thought, you know, that's the end of Good Riddance. And yeah. then in 2012, you guys got back together. What was the, like the reasoning behind the disbanding of the band? Well, there's a few things that were going on when in, uh, in 2001, I think that was probably like the height of our band as far as like our, our rise, our, our popularity, our, our our powers. And then in 2002, our guitar player told us that he wanted to go back to school. And so like we, like everything came to a halt pretty much. We couldn't really tour yeah, except in, except in the summer. And so we our our touring cut way down, which forced all of us to, to like scramble to find other, other things to do to keep the lights on. Yeah, definitely, man. And so it was, it was definitely a, an adjustment. And it was a it was a bummer, but at the same time, like you know, a guy's got to do what he's got to do, and everybody was was stoked for Luke to to finally get back to, and do that. And so I, we we did that for a few years, playing here and there, but we were all starting to focus on other stuff. And for a lot of guys, that meant also right around that time, uh, starting families, like really, really, really young children, like really small, and 
dude can't be gone for six months out of the year in that in that situation really and so that that was part of it and then in, and then 2005 2006 we, re- we released another album that we all felt at the time was pretty strong but it wasn't well received nobody bought it and then we played shows and nobody came and we were like okay we see what's happening here like i've seen spinal tap like yeah so so like we we were like decided that we would we're going to walk away on our own terms with some grace and some dignity and and um and focus on other things that so that was kind of the decision that we made so it was partially like light just life stuff happening yeah over the course of being for some guys being parents and raising families but also like the careers that we had all sort of gravitated to in the absence of of playing music full time and then part of it was the the change, you know, the the natural progression of of the music musical world, like it kind of left us behind, or so it seemed, and it was moving on to different types of music, which is just how things work. You know, there was a time where like every every single band on Fat Records or Epitaph was was like that was like the the rad thing to be, and then like by that time in, in the mid two thousands, like having like black jeans and white belts and playing metal was the rad thing to be. That <laughs> yeah. wasn't our, yeah, that wasn't our gig. I remember that. Cause I did warp tour almost every year and that was all that was there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you played warp tour in the mid two thousands, it was rough. It was rough. Yeah. It was crazy, man. So I, I know that you've written a lot. You've written for magazines like amp new noise, alternative yeah. press, even stuff for the Washington times. Has yeah. that been like an on, ongoing thing or did you find yourself doing more of that during the interim between when the band broke up and when the band got back together? Well, in the early mid two thousands, uh, I got hit up to work to write for amp and that ended up being a pretty consistent monthly gig for man, like 10, 12 years. Wow. And they let me write about whatever I wanted. And then in the interim, I would get hit up once in a while, usually through Vanessa, who's our publicist at Fat. Yeah, Vanessa's the one that uh, actually connected us, man. We were already friends yeah, on Facebook, Vanessa. but I like to go through the correct channels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Vanessa would hit me up and be like, hey, can you write a thing for this this magazine or that magazine? And and I was always down to do it. And the I, the Washington Times thing was 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 pretty cool. I, I had a hockey column, and I also had like a social political kind of column. And I did that for maybe maybe almost a year, and that was really cool for as a writer because that was the big time. Oh yeah, not really, but not really big time. Like it wasn't the Washington Post; it was the Washington Times. But but it was still like a pretty legit operation, and I had editors, and I. It turned out that the way that I had been writing wasn't the correct way. Like I learned a lot of things. Like I learned a lot about how to write from that experience that, that I still carry with me today. And, uh, it was, it was cool. Uh, eventually I started realizing like reading some of the other, most of the other columnists that I was, that I was on the, the platform that I was writing on was, was politically had a political bent that was completely converse to mine. And I wasn't really willing to, to continue to participate with it. Yeah. So I, so I took off and then, um, but it was an awesome experience. Like I learned so much in that short time. And then I did, I've written some stuff for, you know, Jimmy from Pennywise is doing that punk guru site. And, uh, I think that's an awesome idea. And he's still, I think he's still sort of formulating what he wants it to be. And he has a lot of great ideas. 
and the fact that he even thought of me was really cool. And so I've written, I've written several uh, columns for that. Probably will continue if he keeps doing that. And you know, I would, I would love to have a regular gig, like a regular writing gig. I would love to write more. So, but I, but I don't have the the cachet to really kind of make it happen. I kind of got to wait for people to 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 approach me. Was that always something you were interested in, even from a young age, or was that just the opportunity presented itself and you took it, and then you found out that you had a passion for it? Well, I, my my problem is that I think I know more than I do. Okay. Yeah. And I and I and I like to write, so that's a that's a bad that's a lethal combination. <laughs> yeah. And and I've been you know for me in school like like math was math is really really hard for me but english was so easy for me it just came really natural like some people naturally they roll out of bed just excelling at something for no good reason and and that was me with with english and writing like i've always had an easy time putting words together and like they'd be like oh you got to write 500 words on this and everyone else in the class like oh my god and i'd be like i could do that like in my sleep, you know? <laughs> that's awesome man 500 is going to be hard to even up there, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's something I love to do. And I, and I would love to have a more consistent forum. It would be rad if people paid me for it. But I mean, if, if people, whenever I'm approached to do it, I'm always happy to do it. Uh, it keeps me, it keeps my chops up. And, and a lot of the stuff that I, that I've written, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from, like a lot of people have, I've told me they they enjoyed reading it, so that makes me happy. So you were you mentioned you had a hockey column when you were doing that, and I know that uh, kind of your other career is a being a scout, a hockey scout for the Tri City Americans. Have you been do you've been doing that for quite a while, right? Or at least that job, maybe not with that team, but I know you yeah, had other I, teams. I started I started uh, scouting in two thousand seven for the the Kootenai Ice, same league, Western Hockey League. And I did that for about five years, scouting California. And it was a great experience. Uh, Kootenai, the, the team that I worked for, were really sort of um, Saskatchewan and Alberta heavy as far as the, the pl- type of players that they like to draft. And so I was, you know, I'd be down here writing reports and, and talking to players and talking to parents and doing the whole thing. And then none of, none of my players ever got drafted by us. They got drafted by other teams, the players that I saw. But after about five years, I was kind of, I was kind of burnt out on it. Just like felt like I was spinning my wheels. Even though the, you know, the staff, the organization treated me great. They were awesome. And it was a really good experience. I learned a lot. And then I had met Bob Torrey, who was the GM of Tri City. I would, I would all see him at the rinks. He'd be down here. He, he was willing to take a chance on California players. Uh, back when I was still working for for Kootenai, I would watch these players play down here and. And then the next thing I know, they'd be drafted by Tri City, and so I knew Bob already, and uh, he he knew that I was looking looking for uh, a, a change, and it was a good, it was just a good fit, and I so I've been with Tri City since 2012, 2013, something like that. So in two thousand seven, when you started this type of job, like you you must have always been a hockey fan, big into the sport, probably played the sport your whole life. How did you go about? kind of getting that gig because being a hockey scout that seems like like a pretty coveted gig i'm you can't just go to school for that right well being a hockey scout in the western hockey league it's i mean it sounds great but you don't really get paid anything it's it's more like you're volunteering like we get an honorarium every year and we get our expenses paid okay 
but you're mainly doing it because you love it. And, and also like it, it's for me, I'm hoping that at, at some point I'll get, I'll be able to network enough and get a, get a chance to scout in the NHL for an, for an NHL team. That's like the dream. But I mean, I, I've always wanted to work in hockey. I didn't start playing hockey till I was an adult. Like, you know, I grew up surfing and skateboarding like everybody else here. And, but I loved, I loved hockey ever since I was a little kid, just I was drawn to it. And, and so I was wondering what to do. Cause this was like right around the time that the band wasn't playing anymore. Yeah. And, um, I wanted everybody that I know was like, dude, you should, you should work in hockey. Like you, you can't stop talking about it. It's annoying. Like go, <laughs> go do something. And, and so it was, it was fortunate because I took a course, an online course, this company called sports management management worldwide. So you could take these online courses to be like, to be like a, a athletic trainer or to be a football coach or to like any kind of sport. And there was a, there was one for hockey scout slash GM. And, and I took the course, it was eight weeks. It was, it was pretty cool. I learned some stuff. And then the main, the main break for me was that I had a buddy who was a fan of good riddance. Who, so I'd met that way, but he was also a guy that played in the NHL Okay. and he was, and he was part owner of the Kootenai ice. And so he, I was telling him like, well, what should I, you know, I want to, I want to get in here doing something like I can't, I can't play cause I'm not good enough but I want to work in hockey. I'd love to be around it. And he's like, well, luckily at that time, there was starting to be a few California born and trained players kind of trickling up to the Western hockey league, finding their way up there. And uh, so like the Western hockey league teams were starting to realize, Hey, the amateur hockey in California has gotten good enough to where there's some players that, that could play in our league. And so my friend spoke to the GM of, you know, cause he was part owner. He spoke to the GM of the Cooney Ice and said, Hey, I got a friend in California. Like he really wants to start doing this. I believe he knows what he's talking about. Like, would you want, would you think about taking him on? And it was a good deal for Cooney because that they didn't have to pay anybody to fly but down all the time. So it was like a set of eyes that was easy to, to get reports from. And for me, it was an awesome, really awesome first foot in the door, you know, like it, like, Working in the Western Hockey League is a pretty big deal. I mean, it's it's the best league. It's the best hockey that there is at that age. Yeah, it's the largest supplier of talent to the National Hockey League of out of anybody, and so it was a really cool, really fortuitous thing for me to get involved in. Have any of your the guys that you've scouted have they gone on to do really great things? See, it's guys I've scouted. Yeah. Like meaning like I've gone to the rink and seen them when they were, cause we scout, we scout players when they're Bantams, which means they're 14 turning 15. Okay. So like, that's the, that's the age I'm watching. And then the, and in the Western hockey league, you're playing like 17, 18, 19 years old usually. And your NHL draft year is 18. So I've watched a lot of players that have gone on, uh, like Matthew, Matt Nieto is from long beach. Uh, he's playing for like, the Colorado avalanche now. Austin Matthews obviously plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's a great player. Uh, he was from Arizona, but I watched him play at our every year. There's a Western Hockey League U.S. Prospects Camp in Anaheim, where the best U.S.-born players from the Western U.S. get together in the Western Hockey League. All the GMs and, and head scouts come down for that. And I saw Austin Matthews play there when he was 14, and now he's one of the best players in the National Hockey League. Uh, Eric Eric Comrie, who plays. Eric Comrie played for the LA Selects. He's a he's a Canadian kid, but he grew up and played down in California. 
played for the LA Selects, and now he plays. He's in the Winnipeg Jets organization. He was drafted by them. So I've seen a lot of players, and a lot of players that I've that I've scouted or seen went on to play two, three years in the Western Hockey League. You know, and then maybe after that they went to school or did something else. So you you've got to enjoy that, right? Because I mean, you seem like you're really. I, I mean, I follow you on Facebook, and and the the stuff that that you're always posting is, is a lot of hockey stuff. So you've got to you've really got to enjoy your job, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I love hockey. Like I love I love everything about it. So like I'm, it's a chance to get it to be part of an organization, which has been cool. It's definitely not uh it's kind of funny like it's very very different from being being in the punk world yeah but it's it's i mean i feel i feel right at home i mean i've worked i've been lucky to work for two organizations where the the staff have been really accepting because like a lot of times if you get around a bunch of like older dudes from the western canadian prairies and you got you got neck tattoos and you're vegan (laughs) and you don't drink they're they're gonna be like what the fuck is up with this guy yeah, it's uh, got, it's kind of so how like, I feel living in Indiana. I have neck tattoos and don't drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a little bit weird of a, it's an adjustment. But once you you know if you talk hockey and like eventually there you you got your bona fides and they they they've all been really cool. But it's definitely a different vibe. Like I show up to the rink and I'm I've got you know slacks on and and dress shoes and the track jacket and everything like that. It's uh it's a, it's a different kind of world. Um, but I, I mean, I, I love it. It's like watching interview. I'm, I, my job is to identify players, and then you got to—they're 14, and I got to project what kind of player they're going to be when they're 17, 18 years old. <laughs> and then I got to talk to their parents because the Western Hockey League, you know, junior hockey is still kind of a mysterious thing for Californians. Most parents down here think that their their kids going to get a scholarship to go play at BU or something like that, or Michigan, and that's just not the case for most players. Um, whereas, like. In Tri City, you know, we have scouts in every province of Western Canada. Those guys have an easier job because all those kids up there grew up wanting to play in the Western Hockey League. They know all about it. Yeah. But I have to explain to parents what it is and how it works and all this stuff. So it's a lot of it's I gotta identify the players, I gotta project, I gotta submit reports, and then I gotta try to sell the parents on the league, like some some recruitment, like, hey, if we draft if we draft your son, will he come? Will you guys come? Will you guys play up there? Do you have any interest? Just stuff like that. Um, so it's cool. So I know that in 2012, you did a solo record, Farewell Catalonia, yeah. on Paper yeah. and Plastic Records. Is there a chance you're going to do any more solo stuff? It's been seven years, right? Yeah, I would love to. I, I play once in a while when I get a chance. Like Actually, next week I'm playing five shows opening for the Dropkick Murphys Clutch wow. Tour. So that'll be kind of fun. So I played, I played 25 minutes, you know, the beginning of the show. And is that you uh, with an acoustic or like, what's the yeah. setup? Okay. Normally I, if, if I had my ways, I'd play my, my telly through a, like a combo amp, but I, I'll be traveling kind of light. So I'll just be playing my acoustic on these shows. So I, I do both. I, I try to play with my, either with my telly through an amp or, or I can just play my acoustic either way. And I, I know you guys, uh, this podcast will probably be out after the fact, but I know you guys are doing some dates with 88 Fingers Louie here in the next yeah. week or so, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm good buddies with those guys. And uh, I remember Dan, <laughs> Mr. Precision, was recording one of my first band's albums right after they got back from recording the first Rise Against record. And I know you guested on that record. Yeah. I know you're friends with those guys. I know you had a lot to do with kind of 
getting their foot in the door with fat and whatnot back in the day when they were 88. How did that guest appearance thing kind of come about on that first Rise Against record? Well, 88 Fingers Louie technically was on fat before we were. Okay. Just, just yeah, like they, they had, a, I think, a seven inch when we were on fat. And so I knew, but then we, you know, we played with them a bunch of times. We took them to Europe in 1999. So I knew Dan and, and uh, Joe. And then when the, when 80 fingers, Louie broke up, Dan and Joe were really, were really keen to start another band. And I can remember, I can remember, a, and we were at the, at the time, Sean, Sean had quit good riddance. And so we were starting to have some drummers hit us up and, but we already had Dave Wagon Shoes kind of lined up. Yeah. Uh, but this this one dude sent us a demo of him playing drums to all our songs, and it was good. But we already had we already had our guy. So I, I remember we we sent it on to Joe. Was that Brandon? That, yeah, it was Brandon. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and so and I remember being on Warp Tour in Warp Tour in 2000 and playing Chicago, and Joe and Dan came and got got on our bus and played me a demo that they'd done. They just they just found their singer. They played me a demo, and they were trying to think of names, and we were we were like we were bandering around possible names for their band. Uh, so I remember that whole process, and then so when they were going to go record that first album, they just they they contacted me to see if I'd want to do any guest vocals on it, and I I was totally down. And I that's I went. It was funny. I did like a trip. I flew to Chicago and did that, and then I flew to New Jersey and sang on an ensign. And it's a record. <laughs> That's Same cool. Trip. It's just the the guest appearance tour, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that might the beginning be the beginning of 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 all kinds of guest vocal stardom for me, but that happened to be the beginning and the end. So <laughs> awesome. Well, I just always really liked that, and I remember. Uh, I think it was they had just recorded because you you did that in Lafayette, Indiana, correct? Is that where you recorded those vocals? Yes. Sonic Iguana. That sounds that sounds right. Yeah, with, yeah. with Mass from Squirt Gun, I think was who produced that. I'm trying to remember all this. It's it's coming back to me. That but, sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> but um I'm going to uh ask you some listener questions if you're down with that. Are you down with that? Yeah. Of course. Awesome, man. So uh Fred from California, I like this question a lot. Fred from California wants to know what you remember from the recording sessions from the Good Riddance Ill Repute Split Seven Inch, going way back. Fred wants Fred wants to know that because he's the one that put it out. I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's Fred Hammer. It is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we we recorded we recorded a bunch of songs uh, for when we wrote our second album, Comprehensive Guide. I, I came in with just a you know way too many songs for an album. Like I I just was super super productive and it's this kept coming up with these songs. And so we had way too many songs for an album. So we pared it down to the album songs. Then we had all these other songs left over that we all felt were, were pretty strong songs. So like, well, let's do, let's do some seven inches with our, with our friends bands. And so we recorded all that stuff at a place in, I want to say it was Hayward, California, up in the Bay area called art of ears. Um, Green day had recorded some early albums there. That's how we heard about it. And we had uh, we had demoed some stuff there before, and Andy Ernst was the guy that engineered it, and so we went up and knocked out all of those songs. That was songs that were all written at the same time, but were not on Comprehensive Guide. So you just kind of peppered them in and did different splits with different bands. Yes, we recorded all these songs, and then like 
we did we did a bunch of split seven inches right around that time. And and Fat always gave you guys the option to do that on different labels. Like like it's always kind of yeah. like a handshake deal. Every band I've ever met and like you know talking to Fat Mike, it just seems like you're on Fat, but you can also kind of do anything else. Like your solo record was on paper and plastic. Like yeah. Well, to be fair, that that happened after Fat had passed on it. So oh okay, <laughs> I didn't know that. I would have I would have loved to have Fat put it out. Okay, so uh, thank you, Fred, for your question. Now, Glenn from Australia, he wants to know how long you've been vegan and what made you decide to become a vegan. So I was I went vegan in 1993. After wanting to be vegan for a couple of years, I went vegetarian in like 1990, and that was because of you know I was listening to punk and hardcore music, and so I was listening to bands like like the Cro-Mags and Youth of Today, and then they were singing songs about animal rights and vegetarianism. And so, of course, I was I liked those bands. I liked what they were about, so, so it, it made me interested. And then I was working at a coffee shop at the time with this hippie chick, and she was talking to me about it too because she was vegetarian. And then she told me to read Diet for New America by John Robbins. And I read that book, and it completely changed my whole deal. Like, it was it was super upsetting and, and eye-opening. And then, so I, I knew that I wanted to, to, you know, to stop doing that whole thing. I wanted to get out of the loop of this, the suffering and the cruelty and, and all that. And, but I was, you know, I was still new at it and it kind of slipped, I would slip here and there. And, and then we were on tour in 93. Good riddance was back, back before we were, had any kind of record deal. We just would go on tours with demo tapes because we were idiots. So we're up in Seattle and I'm hanging out with this dude that I knew through a mutual friend, this straight edge guy, really, really like fervently, fervently straight edge vegan guy. And we were hanging out and basically in one afternoon, he just, he broke down all of my lame excuses for why, why I wasn't vegan. He like called me out and I had no, I had no recourse. And so like from that day on, I, I was vegan. I, th- I think it probably to do something like I have a lot of friends that are vegetarian and haven't taken that next step, <clears throat> but to be vegan, it almost seems like you would need like a mentor or someone to at least call you out on the bullshit. Right. I think that, I mean, this is before you could just go on your computer and, and, and watch enough yeah. documentaries or YouTube videos to make yourself sick and be like, okay, I'm over it. I'm done. This was when it was like, you know, society and, and cultural, uh, programming and, and advertising are still hammering on you that these things are, are wholesome and good. And so it's, it's easy to sort of like, it's easy to believe that and, and kind of use that as a crutch. Like, and so, and also in 1993 being vegan wasn't as easy as it is now. Well, I mean, with, with the, with the Whopper, you know, in, what's it, an impossible burger and all these different, yeah. all the fast food places now are offering vegan options that yeah. that's got to make it more, sick you know easier to be a vegan in this day and age especially if you don't have a lot of money to buy the nice good quality food at whole foods or something right well i don't know i i a lot of people tell me tell me that like they that it's that's they're too poor to be vegan and i was i my response is i was like like how expensive are rice and vegetables really <laughs> yeah really yeah yeah you're so, right so i think that's a misconception uh also yeah, like the fact that like fast food places have have vegan vegan burgers or plant based burgers, I think is in the macro view. I think that's massive. Uh, 
myself and any vegan that I know will never buy a burger from from Burger King. But but the fact that they're there and the fact that those companies have been brought to their knees, I mean, like the fact that Burger King is is catering to to a plant based demand tells you that enough people are are demanding it. So that's yeah. to me that's a really positive step. Uh, but but yeah, in 1993 it was it was a little bit of a tougher go. Like you really had to you really had to have yourself convinced and dedicated to not participating. Like it, you you couldn't you couldn't equivocate. It had to be like a like you know you know I, I don't care if it's inconvenient for me. I don't care if I can't find food tonight or the food that I want tonight. I don't care if I just am eating carrots and potato chips today. Like I'm not doing it. Like I'm done. Yeah. And so like that's it's nowadays it's much easier to dabble. It's much easier. There's Whole Foods everywhere. Even like here in California, the Safeway, like regular chain markets, there's like soy soy milk, almond milk, coconut milk, there's all kinds of fake meats, fake cheeses. I mean, you can just roll into any pretty much grocery store and and roll out with with a hundred percent plant based shopping cart full of stuff. So it wasn't always that way. So there's been some progress. Do you, do you find it difficult at all when you are in other countries sometimes to, you know, is it, is it harder to follow the diet? No. Well, Spain and Spain can be tough sometimes. I just knew that some of the really meat heavy countries like yeah, in Bavaria and tough. places. No, Germany, all of Germany has been pretty cool. Uh, Spain's can be, Spain can be tough. Japan is really tough because there's fish and everything and yeah. you can't read, you can't read the ingredients. Like you have to basically roll with a roll with a guy who like can go read the thing for you or go to talk to restaurants for you. So I have one more listener question, and this is my friend and your friend Vanessa over at Fat Records Mutiny PR. She wants to know what your favorite horror movie is. My favorite horror movie. Wow, <laughs> it's a tough one, right? Yeah. Uh- my fiance, she's a huge horror fan. She just she just overheard the question. She said Suspiria, so I, I guess I probably I'd probably go with that. Although we haven't watched the new one yet. Okay, but the, but the classic Dario Argento Suspiria, I would say probably either that or there's a movie that came out in the early '80s called Ghost Story. Okay, which kind of which kind of flew under the radar, but just scared the hell out of me when it came out. Cool. Well, we'll we'll check that out. Thanks, man, and thanks yeah. Vanessa for your question, and thanks Glenn from Australia for your question. Before that. Um, I wanted to know, I'm about ready to let you get out of here, man. Thank you so much for your time. I want to know what does the future hold? I know you've got some dates with 88 and then you guys are probably doing some more stuff soon, right? Yeah, we have some, like a, an actual like 10 day proper Western U S States tour coming up in November. Uh, we're actually going to get in a van and drive from city to city like the old days. Wow. And, and we are looking at 2020, you know, we, with the new record out, we, we can't really tour the way we used to anymore based on people's jobs and families and stuff. But we, we know we got to be a little bit busier this year with a new release. So 2020 where we obviously want to get some festivals happening. Uh, we want to do punk rock bowling if we can, who's a fest in Montreal, if we can, uh, maybe some, maybe some festivals in Europe in June and hopefully finding a way to get to Australia. Cool, man. How long, how long has it been year. since you guys have been there? We were in Australia last year. Oh, last year. Okay. Cause yeah. I, have, I have a huge listenership down there. I just wanted to, yeah, I'm sure they'll come see you next time. <laughs> no, we love it down there. We have a, we have a great time everybody's awesome. Well, Russ, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Everybody check out 
their brand new, or I guess it's almost brand new, came out in July. Thoughts and Prayers on Fat Records. It's streaming everywhere. You can download it. Go buy it in an actual store. That would be really cool. Uh, I'm sure they can probably get vinyl as well over at Fat, right? Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Russ, thank you very much, and uh, enjoy your evening. And when you guys have another record or a big tour or something, come on back and talk to us, okay? Will do. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Russ Rankin from Good Riddance. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a, It's a lot of fun. You know, this podcast is really cool. Like, I've met some of these guys. I think Russ and I had met at some point back in the past. But I get to talk to all these people that kind of shaped me as I was growing, listening to punk rock. And when I think back about, you know, being a little 14, 15-year-old kid and having my Good Riddance shirt, uh, I've got to find out. I've got a picture of it. It was the blue shirt with like the old logo from like the first record. I've got to find that and post it on Instagram or something. But it's it's really cool to get to talk to these guys in depth and really find out what makes them tick and find out about their process and how they create their art. And then to find out, you know, the other passions they have, like his love of hockey and all the the all this whole other career that Russ had. It was just a lot of fun to talk to Russ, and hopefully he'll be back on the show in the future. If Good Riddance is coming to your neck of the woods, make sure that you check them out and make sure that you go stream or buy or steal, whatever you got to do. Go get the new record, Thoughts and Prayers, out now on Fat Records, which, as you guys know, if you listen to this podcast, Fat is like my, that's my shit, man. That's my jam. I listen to pretty much everything on that label, and I have since I was about 15. But uh, speaking of people that have something to do with Fat Records, next week on the program, my good buddy Jordan Burns, formerly of the band Strung Out, uh, and and so many other great things. He was in Pulley, uh, all, all kinds of things, man. He's one of the best drummers in the entire world. I mean, and I'm, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. He just, man, so technical and just so much passion when he plays drums. And he's like one of the nicest dudes in the world. So next week on the program, Mr. Jordan Burns, and we're going to have so much fun. We're going to talk about Moto Triple X, which is the the motocross company that he owns with Smelly from No Effects, and just everything, you know, what happened with Strung Out and all kinds of good stuff next week with Jordan. So come back for that. Uh, make sure to go check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. Help us keep the lights on. If you want to sponsor an episode, hit me up, TOTOT podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on the socials at TOTOT podcast. And uh, that's about it. Subscribe, rate, review, you know, all that good stuff. I mean, if you guys are listening and you like the show, that's the least you could do. It really helps us grow. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow. We're trying to chart. We're trying to make this thing huge. So uh, come back next week for Jordan. And we're just going to keep rolling after that, man. We might miss a week or so around the holidays. I have guests. I just... Man, things are busy, especially when you've got toddlers, and I have two of them. So uh, we'll see you guys next week with Jordan. Before I get out of here, I always play music, and I'm going to play one of my favorite tracks on the new Good Riddance record, Thoughts and Prayers. This song is called Who We Are. So I will catch you guys next week. This is Good Riddance with Who We Are. See ya.
Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.